Coming up next, the booking reads The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. I'm Nathan Alberson. I'm your humble and obedient host, and I'm here with Brandon Chastain, PhD, ABD. I'm also here with Jacob Menzel, the pastor who's a master of reading, and this is part three of our discussion about Mark Twain's immortal classic, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and without further ado, because we are against all ado here at the bookening, we are going to jump right in, sans ado, devoid of ado, to... The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, part three of our discussion. Yay, here we go. So the Duke and the King, would you guys categorize them as comic characters or as villainous antagonists or what? I mean, they're kind of like Fagin and Bill Sykes, where they're both funny and horrifying at the same time. I think they're kind of in that tradition is the way I would see them. They are funny. Mm -hmm. They're definitely funny. But they're also, more you get it, it's like, it is like Fagin with Oliver Twist. The more you see what this character does, the more you realize you've been duped. But I found that a lot of the satire wasn't so much making fun of the Duke and the King as it was making fun of their marks. I mean, it's yeah. always the townsfolk in, in all these towns end up just being so stupid. You know, the, the, the group of people that fall for the Duke's... Third night. Oh, the third night thing, yeah. That's yeah. just where they're they're so selfish that they're going to trick let the rest of the town go to the show and then they're going to come the third night with a bunch of dead cats which I liked <laughs> an interesting period detail <laughs> but then the the pretty girls that are kissing the king when he when he makes right. the revival speech and you get those scenes and then you get the scenes with the Wilkes family where you actually care and so I think it may, I don't know, maybe it doesn't. It could invert some of that other stuff. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the notes and commentaries that I read portrayed the Wilkes sisters. Like a lot of modern critics seem to find them very unsympathetic. Mm. Uh, they don't like Twain's, if it's Twain, they, they, they don't like the sort of idea of women as being that gentle, sweet sort of stereotype. Yeah, yeah. That a lot of people just didn't have any time for the Wilkes sisters. They thought they were stupid for falling for the Duke and the King. I thought it was Weird. Why would they be stupid for falling for the Duke and the King? You've got these guys that show up out of nowhere. They've never heard an English accent before because they live in Arkansas. That uh, officious doctor guy was smart enough to figure it out. Yeah, but, but he comes across as such a jerk. They know everything. They know yeah. everybody's name. They know the townspeople's names. They know all kinds of things they should have. It's not like they can get on the internet and watch movies with English accents and yeah. to get all those details right. Yeah, it was weird. I didn't. And it was a vulnerable time. What are the chances that just... somebody's going to come up with all those details? They would have had to have met. You wouldn't have expected that they happened to run into a guy on a river 
who just told them everything like an idiot. You would have to suspect them practically of murdering the real Wilkeses, like befriending them on the boat, learning their story, playing it up, and then throwing them overboard in the night. It would have to be that nefarious what you what you assumed i think we bring too much modern perspective to novels like this and we have to remember that people had different sins and different ways that they were innocent you know i read a book because i'm i'm like emily and i read books like this i read a book about one of the first serial killers and um it was around 1908 or so that he he plied his wicked trade and it was striking what an innocent time you know this was the guy that could let that would talk people, you know, can I take your kids on a journey with me? Stuff that we would never dream of letting this obviously suspicious guy that ended up being a terrible serial killer do. But people just didn't have a framework for, they had different sins, I guess. They didn't have that one. Think about the fact that 10 or 12 year old Tom got sent all the way down the river from Missouri, put on a steamboat and told to get off at the right spot. And hopefully he did. And hopefully he was going to find his way to the right spot. And there was no way for anybody to keep tabs on him except, you know, a letter a couple weeks later that might have gotten returned or not. It's the kind of thing that people would do. Uh, what else is there to say about the whole Wilkes incident? I mean, that's definitely where you end up hating the, the Duke and the King as much as you ever have. They're just nasty there. I felt myself, the first time I read it at least, feeling a lot of real suspense. Like, Twain's actually really good at suspense. Like, the scene on the boat where... Huck gets back and Jim's lost the raft and they're with these robbers. You know, there's a, a couple of sections in the book that are like right up there with the great suspense set pieces from from literature. And I would put uh, the whole, how's Huck going to get out of this mess with the money? What's going to happen to the Wilkes sisters? Are the Duke and the King going to get away with it? Are all yeah, with great th- pressing narrative questions. Yeah, the whole thing with the tattoo. The tattoo, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, it all ends up in a lightning storm in a graveyard. I mean, it's, a, it's got a good gothic yeah. kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just good storytelling. I guess that's all no, I'm trying is, to yeah. say about it. Twain's not above just giving you a rip-roaring story of the type that Tom Sawyer, through Tom Sawyer, he makes a lot of fun of, but he's able to even do that and do it well. Yeah, and a good example of that is that little weird little aside scene where the colonel shoots that drunk. That was a weird scene. What did you guys make of that scene? I don't I know. It's sure. almost like you heard Twain speaking through that guy. When he was talking to the cowards, the men, like if you guys had were real men, you'd come up here, but you're not. You're right. just going to leave. Well, I didn't know what Twain was saying. Like, were, was our sympathy supposed to be with him? It wasn't because we felt bad for the drunk who we didn't know what he'd done besides drunkenly insult this guy. And then his daughter comes and gets to watch him bleed out and die. So knowing what we do about Twain's biography, it's hard not to think that probably a lot of these stories are based on things that he saw or or that happened to him. Who knows? But they sure feel like it. Did you guys feel bad about the Duke and the King getting tarred and feathered at all like Huck did? I actually uh, went and read up a little bit on, tried to remember at first, you know, what actually would it have meant for them to be tarred and feathered in terms of physical harm. So I read up a little bit on it and made me feel not so bad for them at all. Yeah, the odds of death weren't high. They might have gotten some blisters. Yeah, maybe maybe even that. But yeah. it, when we think of tar, we think of the black stuff we put on roads <laughs> that has to be boiling hot. But this was like pine tar, probably, which is already pretty. You know, baseball players rub it on their bats right. to make it sticky. It's not yeah. wouldn't have been that damaging. 
I found it almost, despite what Huck said, I, it was almost a lack of the comeuppets that I wanted for those characters. It was part of that last chunk of the novel being deflating was the fact that we didn't get a good... I think as a kid, I thought being tarred and feathered amounted to being tortured to death. I kind of have that impression in my mind, which is why I ended up going back and trying to figure out what actually happened. Yeah. That's sure how Huck treats it. Is, you know, it's like the one place where he's just like, people are cruel. It's, it's like... yeah. Yeah, you wonder what Twain thought it was. There were stories at the time, I think, of it being dangerous and deadly. I'm sure it could be as dangerous and deadly as they wanted it to be. Yeah. How hot did they want the tar to be, you know? How but, much did But they... what I read about it was like, it was sort of more just public mockery in general. It was meant for it, shame. Yeah, to, sh- to publicly shame people. Yeah, and is that is that the result you want for these characters? I don't know that I needed to see them die, but I kind of felt, in reading it this time at least that I wanted something more of a comeuppance for those guys, especially after what they did to the Wilkeses. Because I felt a lot of sympathy. I mean, once the, you know, the Wilkes sisters, I think, come off really well. It's a really sweet, you know, when the hair lip is making fun of Huck or whatever it is, and they tell they tell her not to, hmm. you know, you end up really admiring them, or I did at least. Yeah, and you, you like the hair lip because, uh, sorry, I can't remember her name. She's yeah. just the hair lip. But, <laughs> but because she actually, she's right. Yeah. She gets it right, but then you admire the other girls for just their good naturedness, which is why Huck fell in love with Mary and will love her till the day he dies mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. He sort of says, that girl had, had sand, you yeah, know, or whatever. Yeah. And if I believe praying would do any good, I would sure pray for her. Right. Yeah. You know, you just sort of like, you get this feeling like, yeah, Tuck definitely crushes on Mary. Oh, yeah. yeah. Regrets never seeing her again. Right. So we finally get to Huck's big decision to go to hell. You know, we've been building up to it. And, and he already, it's weird that Twain gives him like two big crisis moments with Jim. The one where he's mm-hmm. going to turn him into those two guys. And then the the second one where he basically has to make the same decision, but, but in even more intense terms. Obviously, the cathartic moment is in the book, the the moment that it's been building building towards is the line all right then i'll go to hell and um it's hard not to cheer for that but should we (laughs) should we cheer for someone going to hell (laughs) i'm gonna say no (laughs) no uh well, it's a complicated question, and it's complicated because it's just the wrong question. It's not the question that Huck should be asking. But Huck doesn't. But know he doesn't better. know that within the confines of the novel, I think it works as a beautiful question and a way to illustrate the dilemma of your conscience versus the false morality around you. Sure, and he chooses to do the right thing, and damn the consequences. Right. But that's because he's dealing with a false morality. Sometimes our consciences are just wrong, and we don't get to hold our consciences over God and over what God says. So on the one on, on the one hand, yeah, Huck chose to do the right thing, and he had to weigh it and came to a hard conclusion. And it, it, it's written in such a way as to make it a heroic choice. Well, and it, feels, it is. It feels to me in the tradition of great American heroes, you could make an argument that Huck's one of the one of the first great American heroes in that moment, at least. It feels like. It feels like John Wayne is in the lineage of this, if you know what I mean. It's like this is yeah. the guy that's going to follow his conscience. It doesn't matter what the society says. I mean, it's it's that kind of hard-won truth about reality over and against the false morality of everyone else. It's a very American idea of what 
a hero would be. Or yeah, do. and you got to give him credit that he doesn't just end up depressed and angsty like Hawthorne did mm-hmm. in the face of hypocrisy. Um, Twain, you mean? Twain, yeah. yeah. Hawthorne just sort of curled up in a corner and cried. You know, it's, that was Hawthorne's response. And so at least he's trying to have some backbone. He still sees the same hypocrisy and he won't see anything else. The he's difference gonna- is Huck's been lied to. And Twain doesn't want to see. Where we have our difference with Twain is that Twain would say what? He would say that religion really is false, basically, is what he would say, is that if the religion has only given us the choice to go to hell or do the right thing, we better do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a moral dilemma that's not real. Right. And yeah. it's an awfully wicked and proud thing. It's so damnably proud for Twain to to act that way. In Huck's case, Huck's confused and yeah, it's weird. You lost, almost condemn Twain and applaud his character. It's like within the constraints of what Twain has given Huck to work with, maybe unfairly, I don't know, but you applaud Huck for doing the best that he can. and coming Huck to ought to have enough fear of God to not do anything that would yeah. touch hell. Yeah, he you don't spit in the face of God, but it's not God. But you do spit in the face of Mrs. Watson's God. And, you know, I mean, it's like the I can get why... Huck would have this idea. Yeah, he says it was awful thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. But they'd been said, and he never reformed. So you understand why Huck made that decision. Am I misremembering? Is there a scene where they're talking about the stars? And um, Pumbaa says that they're big balls of gas. Yes. There is a scene. I forget what's the part of the scene. Huck doesn't think they could have been created, right? Oh, yeah, because it would just be too much work. Yeah. Or, is it Jim that doesn't think yeah, that? Jim, or, no, Jim thinks they could have been, and he argues that the moon could have laid them. That's yeah. Right. That's right. right. Yeah. That's, that's so, the compromise they come to. Yeah, you see Twain kind of giving Huck the voice of a man who will come to see the world as it is, like as just science and real. And, yeah, that's there. And so this is kind of the payout for uh, Twain. But, yeah, the difficulty is it makes sense with Huck's character and his development why this would work out the way it does and why he would say this here. Yeah, I mean, if, if I was Mark Twain, A, I never would have been brilliant enough to write the book, but but beyond all that, if I was doing this, I don't think I'd feel bad about giving Huck that scene. I would just want to, as a Christian, provide some sense to the reader that there is a God and a religion over and above what Huck's been taught and over and above what even the widow Douglas, who's maybe the best, or Aunt Sally, have presented to him. And that's what Twain doesn't do, and that is that is a moral failing of the book. Yeah, the decisions Twain made were the characters that he has Huck meet. Yeah. And every single one of those characters has to be a hypocrite. Except for uh, Mary. She's an interesting mm-hmm. anomaly. That is true. And even insofar as he gives us the anomaly of Mary... You still get the sense that you need a sensible, pragmatic character like Huck to watch out for Absolutely, this yeah. Christian girl that's just going to get her, get, the world is just going to eat her up. Her kindness is, I think, portrayed as a virtue, but it is also something that makes her vulnerable. Vulnerable. Well, we're just about out of time, so I guess we better tackle the ending. So, uh, WT Heck is up with that ending, guys. Was it a failure? Was it Mark Twain's cynicism? Is it actually a good ending? We've been we keep coming back to it this whole time. Yeah. I still think it's a failure. I think artistically I can see the arguments for why you would have this particular ending and it's really, you know, Twain was a great writer, a great storyteller, so why did he write this particular ending? Why did he allow it to happen? So there had to be reasons he did. I just Well, 
It doesn't give you what you want. And maybe it's a good thing. Well, I'm prepared to argue that up to a point. I think there's probably was a better ending that Twain could have done. I'm not not prepared to say this was the best of all possible endings for for Huck Finn. What I am prepared to say is that this ending does give you some good things. It allows the book to be ambiguous in an interesting way, and it doesn't let you off the hook in the way that a modern liberal ending would, where Huck saves the day and saves Jim and it's has made this moral choice and now he's better than everyone else. By having Huck kind of still be a kid and still be susceptible to Tom, it just doesn't let us off the audience as a hook. You know, I always mm-hmm. think of that stupid... Why does it have to be a modern liberal ending? I'm confused by that. That doesn't make sense to me. What do you mean? The, the, the ending that you just described... Being a modern well, the version of it maybe that I'm picturing in my head is the version where Huck is now a fully formed person who is better than everyone else that we've met in the novel. And the reason I think that lets us off the hook, if Huck is just officially a hundred percent better, then by proxy we, the reader, are allowed to be a hundred percent better. We're allowed to be like in so many modern movies where you you have the protagonist that are set in this time frame, and the protagonist just hates slavery and is entirely above it and would never use the N word, you know. Or you see movies where the women are like totally emancipated and they believe in suffragettism and every, and it's just like. You know what? People like that didn't actually exist. It was more complicated than that. And that is one thing that I think this ending gets it. Yes, it allows it to be. It doesn't let Huck off the hook, and therefore it doesn't let us off the hook. You know what I'm trying to say? So you're saying the bad ending would have been Huck. I don't um, stand, standing up on a stump and saying he's now an abolitionist and making everybody cry and decide to set Jim free. Well, imagine it's silly when you say that, which is but, what some people would have probably preferred. Yeah, imagine the the good version of that. You know, the yeah. best, the the good. Funny, That's the cheesy, stupid version. The, but, yeah. but yeah, that ending I think maybe lets it, us off the hook a little bit. Yeah, it's not so much that I have a problem with some of the stuff that happens in the ending. I just think it. It's ten chapters of the book. Yeah, it's it's, really it's like a quarter of the book. Everything grinds to a halt. Yeah, it's, it's a fail- boring. It's an art. That's what I mean by saying it's an artistic failure. You don't want failure. to keep reading it. It's yeah. not um, okay. all this. You, you get yeah. carried yeah. along. You get carried along on this awesome journey, and all of a sudden it grinds to a halt, and you have ten chapters yeah. of Tom being a moron to slog through. It's yeah. boring. Yeah, it's I agree. Terrible. I agree. It makes you not like Absolutely. Tom as a character. You just really wish. Yeah, Tom. you wish Tom would go away. And you feel or like Twain likes Tom more than you do, which is always an annoying thing in a book yeah, when the exactly. author is like. Yep. Putting he's just precious with them, yeah. And so, I, I, my argument would be that for a whole quarter of the book devoted to this, no, it's, it's an artistic failure. Formally, it just is. Okay. it makes no sense. I 100 percent agree with that. So. Yeah, and I don't know what Mark Twain was thinking. Yeah, I think there are interesting things about the ending thematically that I'm prepared to at least say are interesting. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. As a piece of literature it i skimmed it i've never actually i've read this book twice now i didn't listen to the ending of it i didn't read the ending of it i have skimmed it both times i will i'm prepared to confess to the whole booking audience that makes me a bad person i'm a bad person i have never actually sat you down. do what hemingway told, tells you to do you just I, stop where you should have stopped i mean i read it yeah i, I, I just kind of skimmed through it oh here's tom he's being cute whatever they release snakes in the house ha 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 t.s Eliot's argument is that it gives it the comedic closing that it needs and you're back in the world where you started but it's like who wants to be back in that world yeah the book we, is- we liked the world of the river and i think that you could have had a perfectly satisfying ending with that if you would have just ended with them. Um, Getting back out on the river, 
with you could have had the ambiguous ending you who wanted. Who knows him. how it's going to end? Yep. Who knows right. what's going to happen? They escape the king and the duke, and then the, there's yeah. another adventure on the horizon. Maybe which would I think that's yeah. probably how. Which is what he tries to do with the ending with him running away from Aunt Sally, right? And instead, you had like the Dickens disease come in, where everything had to be wrapped up. You know, right. it's just it was dis- it's a disappointing last quarter of the book. It just doesn't really. It's not. It doesn't make sense in the world that he had presented to us up well, to that I mean, point. It's like, Unless what his goal is is to say, "Hey, you know, this was his shot, and he, he got sucked back into the world that he came from, and that's just what the world does to people." I hope not. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe yeah. if that's what he was doing, then your I point about him being cynical and well, that's one way to make sense of it, right? right. Yeah, you're. I, I, the I other hope. way to make sense of it is he didn't know how to close it, and he loved Tom, I'd, so he brought Tom back. I'd in rather and he that, just accidentally screwed it up. I'd rather that he yeah. accidentally screwed it up. I mean, I, I really. I know what you're saying. I think you may even be right. But if you are right, I'd, I'd rather give Twain the benefit of the doubt that he was an idiot because that's so <laughs> – Yeah, because that's he, such a cynical... he didn't know how to start the novel, right? And yeah. so it kind of rambles on. And so then he also didn't know how to close it. The whole – there's the other argument that it was a failing of nerve. Like he was about to make these big points about racial justice and stuff. And then instead yeah. he decided to ramble on about the boys and their adventure. I don't know if I really buy that argument. I do buy that what happened with Jim in the end of the novel was somewhat of a failing of nerve because mm-hmm. letting just, letting Dickens it and just yeah just it. putting him at the mercy of Tom Sawyer's weird fantasies weird entitled just, white boy it I mean, really you, you is hating I mean, Tom yeah it's completely a betrayal of the man that we grew to really respect I really hope that Twain wasn't so cynical that he just decided to basically. Uh, urinate all over <laughs> what had come before. Man, I'm beginning to think he might have been. That's that. what it f- that's what it felt like to me. When if I read that's it. the case, then I don't even want to read the book. I mean, I th- I think it almost invalidates what happened before. It's almost that hateful. I mean, it's almost like Twain's. A- so I'm not prepared to uh, quite go with you. Maybe we'll have to do a sequel in ten years and see how we all feel about it. We'll do Pride and Prejudice, and we'll do. Uh, Huck Finn. I'm not quite prepared to go with you there because I love the book too much to go with you there. No, I'm not. I'm not committed to that being. Oh, I know, and I'm not the takeaway. But I, I think you have two dominant options. I guess there are lots of of possibilities. But one is he didn't know what he was doing, and he screwed it up. And the other is, hey, he's a masterful writer, and he told a masterful story. So give him the credit of knowing what he was doing at the end, or knowing what he was trying to do at the end. In which case, you're left thinking. But this is the only thing that he wrote that came close to being a coherent novel, yeah, I would say. That's, so we, we don't actually know that he was a master of the coherent plot form that That's is true. The novel. And at the beginning, he says, if you try to find one, he'll shoot you, right? Right. Or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Anyone <laughs> trying to find a point in this? Which maybe – I wonder if that maybe was tagged on at the I don't know. <laughs> Like he wrote that at the end because he realized, man, I just – I don't know what happened <laughs> with these done. last chapters. But I just – one other uh, – I read a lot of there was a new the New Yorker wrote mm-hmm. one about about <laughs> four years ago about this and their argument was that just he grew tired and he was just ready for it to be done with and he I, didn't, and it was easier to go back to the world of Tom and just wrap it up that way yeah I mean it's that almost, he had enthusiasm for it early on and then so, but yeah, see I just a, don't understand you want to give him the credit of being a great author and therefore you can't give him the excuses that we want to give him. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't understand why that excuse makes sense when he could have just as easily have left them go. That would have been just the- a failing of imagination though. I mean, we've had 
hundred years now of ambiguous endings like that. He had the romantic crap that Tom Sawyer Where read. Everybody expects and needs everything to be yeah. sewed up. Yeah, he didn't necessarily maybe. Yeah, maybe you know have he, have the materials in his brain to work with. He was groundbreaking enough with some of the stuff he did with this novel that he couldn't just do everything. I mean, it is it's weird. It's like. But there are other novels that are examples of that. Like David Copperfield was the other example they used as the two novels that start out brilliantly and then just completely fail at the end. But in both cases, what you have is a novel that's brilliant in its characters and its in its episodes, and the plot just kind of carries you along. So, I don't. Know. Well, I think the only way to resolve the issue is we go and we read other novels after he wrote this one. And we read some of his essay, yeah. essays. And just, we have to get I think it. I did try to read a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And I, I don't think I – back in middle school, I yeah. just – because I was enough of a fan at that point. But I don't think I could get anywhere with it. I remember watching the Bing Crosby yeah. uh, film. Well, yeah. uh, booketing <laughs> readers. I've certainly read a lot of Twain short, short stories, and I don't think that they're very special. Yeah, well, a weird story on our honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> that we uh fail <laughs> there was one day where we were just lazing about <laughs> oh i know let's read mark twain stories to she found it it was the weird one about the hot air balloon guy who comes into the city and he's like on a hot air balloon and it was a very just it was a weird story but what's <laughs> <laughs> the most famous ones the jumping frog yeah, yeah. putting head wilson that's is that a novel that's, or is that a story? that's one of his later ones yeah it's yeah. kind of a novella yeah. I remember reading yeah. it in high school, but I couldn't really tell you what it's about off besides some guy named Puddinghead Wilson. Yeah. Um, well, uh, we should say this definitely gets the booking stamp of approval, right? Yeah. I mean, we've complained about the ending the whole time, but if you're some weirdo that is not familiar with the book, do you realize that this is a great novel? Part of what's frustrating about the ending is how awesome everything before it is. And, and here's the other theory that I came up with in my brain. Let me just throw this out here. Maybe Twain just simply did not realize what he had with the rest of the novel. Mm-hmm. So he ended it in a pat way because to him, everything was pat. You know, it's, 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 it's the oldest truism in the book that an author is never a good judge of his work. And, and maybe Twain, you know, he has tapped into this, this, this primordial Americana, you know, here. And maybe he just didn't know that's what he'd done. He did not realize that he was playing with this powerful thing in the middle section of the book to him it was all just kind of a sequel to tom sawyer and so he gave us the sequel to tom sawyer ending and um that's a theory that allows us a little bit more grace towards him maybe i mean that's kind of that he's an idiot theory but I, that's a more recognizable idiot the idiot the author that simply yeah, just if, doesn't understand and if tom sawyer was work. such a such a success then huge popular success maybe he just thought people would be disappointed not to bring tom back yeah maybe he thought he was l- letting people down by having it be this other thing that was huck yeah maybe yeah. it was it's the marvel theory let's stuff spider-man into the captain america movie and uh, give the people everything they want and sometimes that works and you get a great movie or sometimes you get age of ultron where you just have too many moving parts there's my Marvel, Marvel extended universe analogy for yeah. <laughs> the episode. I, that's not a, I, I like that theory. You like that theory? I mean, he came off of the success of these other novels. Huck Finn is kind of this weird anomaly in his writing that none of the others really live up to that high quality. Mm-hmm. They're all witty, but like they're more like you know Garrison Keillor or something. They're yeah. witty, but you don't get the sense that they are. The great American novel like right. this. And then so it just so happens that the middle of this novel emerges as beautiful story and then starts and then dwindles into the other stuff that he was already familiar with. 
and he had absolutely no no clue what he was doing, or not that he didn't have any clue what he was doing, but any clue what he was creating. He didn't yeah, know I the mean, power of what he'd harnessed. You know, yeah. he didn't know how other people because he's he's too close to it. You know, he's writing these stories and he knows they mean something to him, but maybe he just didn't realize that a hundred years from now, Nathan and Jake and Brandon would be moved by some of this stuff in a way that he didn't realize he the ending had to live up to something that he didn't yeah. you know yeah. yeah that's a at least a charitable and plausible way of thinking about it i can buy that i oh. think when you think about the book as a whole and the, the books that we've done so far over the course of this podcast what you said at the beginning there's no book that you can live in the way that you can live in this one well i'll vote for that one you'll vote for that theory yeah i think i i feel within me the the weight of Jake's theory being a good theory. We'll call it Jake's theory. I realize it's you're not necessarily ascribing completely to it, but the Jake theory of Tom Mark Twain's a monster. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll vote for your theory simply because the Tom Sawyer in me wants to pretend like his theory's not right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, well, anyways, if you haven't read, read this book, dear listener, it's a great book. It, it, despite the ending, unless we we finally prove Jake's theory and decide that Mark Twain's a monster, and it, in my mind, it validates the whole thing. But we haven't proved that yet. So until such time as we do, this this book may well, despite the ending, be one of the great American novels. If not, you could make it. It's, it's silly to have that argument, maybe. But if you're going to have that argument, this book belongs in the conversation. No doubt. Is it becoming a like a, one of our things that we at least call some? Somebody a monster with each, <laughs> each series. Let's see. First, it was Mr. Bennett was a monster. Yes. Who was a monster in Oakland? Well, Kathy was a monster in East of Eden. Um, mm-hmm. Who was a monster in Jungle Book? Steinbeck did that. Yeah. yeah. Kipling. Thank you so much for listening to the booking today. It was written and produced by me, Nathan Oberson, and it was performed by Brandon Chastain, Jake Menzel, and me, Nathan Oberson. I switched up the order on you. See, we can do that. Mind blown. Mind blown. You can go to warhornmedia.com for more great articles and other things that you can get at warhornmedia.com, including back episodes of this very podcast. Go to iTunes and leave us a nice review if you want to do something nice for us. You don't have to pay us any money or anything. If you want to pay us money, then you can do that too. But the best way to help us out for free is to leave us a nice review on iTunes and give us lots of stars and everything, and that'll make us... I don't know what that does, but that's good. That's good. My handlers tell me that's good, so please do that for us. father knows failure it comes <laughs> Brandon just knocked my microphone that was me just being a failure right every father knows failure it comes with the territory one generation to the next imperfect men chip away at god's original design for daddies leaving a flawed pattern for their sons to follow that is the very first sentence of 
the little blurb on the back of the book, Daddy Tried by Tim Bailey. Daddy Tried, Overcoming the Failures of Fatherhood. If you're a bad father or a good father or some kind of in-between father that wants to learn how to be a better father, then you should probably order this book from morehornmedia.com. From morehornmedia.com. morehornmedia.com. Dr. John Frame says Tim Bailey's Daddy Tried is the best book on fathering currently in print. So if you're a father or if you're a woman that likes to buy for men or if you're a child that wants to get your dad a gift or something, this is just a really good book. Um, The Order Daddy Tried by Tim Bailey. If you want to be a good father, if you want to be a crappy father, do not order Daddy Tried. Just do your best to be Huck Finn's father. Exactly. Get an axe and chase your kids around. (laughs) 